God never fails. God never fails. God never fails. God never fails. From Nazareth, the road was narrow that he walked. On his way to victory for us. But he never looked back, never once, on his way to the cross. No one that he loved had been gone. And God never failed. God never sacrifice. So the choice was come follow me. And it cost him a lot. The point was that you can't go back. Once you put your hand to the plow, you're going forward. And that's what you and I want. It's a heart that says I, I want to be at the right place at the right time moving together with him. As only he can get us to that place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, 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 got him on my mind. Jesus, 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 got him on my mind. Jesus, 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 got him on my mind. I've got Jesus on my mind. Jesus, 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 got him on my mind. Jesus, 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 got him on my mind. Jesus, 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 I got him on my mind. That old sinful mind I had, that mind is gone. 
Jesus, Jesus. I got him on my mind, oh Jesus, Jesus. I got him on my mind, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I got him on my mind, and I got Jesus on my mind. One more time. Jesus, 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 I got him on my mind, oh Jesus, Jesus, Thank you, Lord, God, for walking close to every heart in this place. Lord, who could we lean on at times like this? If it weren't for you, Jesus, oh, God, Jesus, on my I've been redeemed by love divine. Well, glory, glory, Christ is mine. And all to Him I now resign. Well, I have Thank you, Jesus. Well, glory, 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 Christ is mine, mine, all of them. Thank you, Lord. I'm now resigned. Well, I have.
Lord, you alone are worthy to be exalted. God, we thank you. Lord, touch every, every heart in this place. Lord, we've come in here to worship you and to exalt your great name, God, to have fellowship divine. Lord, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for what you did at Calvary, but we thank you again for what you did today. God, we praise your great and holy name, Lord. You alone are worthy to be exalted. God, we praise your great name, Jesus. I will unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my
Thank you, Jesus. I love that song because it really does talk about that victory at Calvary and what God's done. And you and I couldn't, we couldn't get past that place in our life that Satan could uh, spoil against us without the cross of Christ, without the blood of Jesus. You and I couldn't do anything about the sins we've committed. We could, we could make up our mind we were going to do better than tomorrow, but we sure couldn't do anything about yesterday's stuff. And it takes the precious love of God to get us past that place. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Three crosses stood on Calvary's holy hill. It was crucifixion day. The time had come to pay sin's debts. Death was the only way. A hammer and a soldier swing beat out redemption sound. And from those hands that had healed the sick blood came streaming down and from precious things the sinner's chains were broken Rusty nails that shook the gates of hell and started a crimson flood. Now to one and to all who heed that Still sitting, sitting. 
gates of hell and started a crimson flood not to one and to all but when he that call their Sinners free. What a precious! I love that song. It's uh, I think the church has lost its sense of what the blood does. We've gone back like Israel to doing stuff. If we could just do this right or do that right, and the truth is, the only way into heaven is through the blood of Christ. We're not going to shortchange it. We're not going to make a different route. We're not going to do stuff on our own. We're just going to come through the blood. And that's a great thing. And so what happens, you guys, is it really should create a humility in us that God think about it. If we have that humility that, that we arrived through the blood of Christ, through His sacrifice, our sense of the people around us should be, I'm here to help. Because that's what God did to me. And that's what I want to do for you, is to make sure that you have every advantage to succeed at the things God's called you to. So it isn't about uh, being better at something than someone else. It's about that place of surrender and finding something that we could do to touch the lives of the people around us, as only His love can do it. So 
He watched us uh, before the foundations of the world, so you know He cares about what's going on in our lives. And He's bringing us to that place that He can finalize those things. So, uh, I'd like to read a verse or two in Galatians. We're familiar with these scriptures. He said in chapter 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It's interesting how much power he gave the church. Jesus told his disciples, he breathed on them, and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The Bible said he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit will be remitted. Whosoever sins you retain will be retained. So, we understand that there's a power in Christ Jesus and, and with that indwelling of the Holy Spirit to walk as, uh, as Jesus walked. Because that's exactly what he did. When they tore the roof off of where he was and lowered the man down, the paralytic down there, the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. And uh, those people who were gathered around were furious at him. They said, who can forgive sin but God only? Well, of course, he was God. He is God. Am I right? So his indwelling presence, you guys, his indwelling presence still has that kind of power. Yes? Because he just looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. Take And then those people said, well, you can't forgive sin. He said, which is easier for me to say, rise up and walk, be healed, or your sins are forgiven? Which is easier? Because if, if I'm going to heal him, then you know that I have to forgive him. How could God touch him if he wasn't made whole? I mean, if he, if he wasn't uh, sanctified by God's own presence. So God had to forgive his sins to touch him and heal him. I mean, I'm just saying that's what Jesus said. So it's problematic, but the thing is, those people were furious because they, they didn't want him to forgive that guy's sins. But, you guys, every time that the priests went into the holiest of holies with the blood of the sacrifice of animals, now listen carefully, every time that high priest went into the holiest of holies with the blood sacrifice of the animals, and sprinkled it on the mercy seat, there was an atonement for sin, yes? Okay. So there's forgiveness. God brought that forgiveness through the person bringing a sacrifice and having it killed by the priesthood, yes? And so if the blood of a sacrifice could cleanse a person, how much more could God cleanse them with his own word and will? This is, this is a will thing that's going on there. I will. They, they said, Lord... If you will, uh, you know, you can make me whole. He said, I will. So that's what we want is to have the Spirit of God operate in us that same way. So Jesus told the disciples, listen, I live in you. I dwell in you. And the church should remember that that's exactly what goes on in our lives. He doesn't dwell in heaven only. He dwells in heaven. But He dwells in us. He dwells on the earth. I love silence. It does not discourage me at all. Not at all. So, but that's the thing. is He, he breathed on the disciples. His disciples. If we're His disciples, then He tells us, whosoever sins you remit would be remitted. 
And whosoever sins you retain would be retained. You guys, the church never has preached that. Yes, you know, the power within the church. And what does it do? Jesus conquered sin, yes? At Calvary. So the battle was over. The Bible said sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. Sin does not have dominion over us. And whosoever you yield yourself, servant of a servant you are. So the price has been paid for the, the sins. If Jesus could allow the woman caught in adultery to walk away. If Jesus could allow the woman caught in adultery to walk away, because under the Bible covenant, she's supposed to be killed. Am I right? She's supposed to be stoned. We got a glimpse of the power of the, of the blood of Christ. Because that's how she walked away. Well, thank you very much. That's how she walked away. She walked away because he was going to die. He had not died yet, yes? But he said, those of you without sin cast the first stone. So they all recognize, well, we've got sin. Then he tells the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, no man accused me. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So you guys, there, there was this, this protection of that woman from the blood not yet spent. And yet, because it was foretold before the foundations of the world, it was that real. Because she did die for that sin. In him at Calvary, yes? So he just took her death on him. He just said, look, I, I'm going to accept, I'm going to absorb your, your guilt. I'm going to absorb your sentence. And I'm going to stand between you and these people. I'm going to die in your place. So somebody has come so you wouldn't have to die. Someone on the mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That woman was poor in spiritual things. She had failed to do it right. And she's caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you heaven. Well, how would you give this woman heaven? You'd have to absorb her sin. And that's what exactly what Jesus did. He took her sin on him and took it to the cross of Calvary. She thought that nobody died that day. But he died that day. He, he just stood in that gap and said, I'm going to die for you. And heaven accepted it. God accepted it. Okay, that's a done thing. So if God accepted that blood, that power was then. You guys, that same power exists post-Calvary. That's pre-Calvary, yes? The power of the blood operated pre-Calvary in him at that moment. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a certainty that he was going to die. So God gave him a check. File this check out. Write it out. He endorsed it. God looked at it and said, he's good for it. He's good for it. But he hasn't deposited the blood yet. He will. You need not worry. This is all, all going to work out right. And that's what God's power does. So you guys... What, what the church operates in is a power against sin because it's a bondage that Satan has brought against people and what the, what the forgiveness of God does is breaks it off. So when you pray for somebody, listen, it's the truth. When you pray for somebody, you're praying that God will forgive their sin in order for Him to heal them. God would not heal a person bound by sin. It gets quiet in here, but you guys... In order for God to touch them, for God to touch them, His Spirit has to touch somebody to heal them. Yes? You say, well, we, we're expecting creative work in this one because we have a little sin here, uh, Master. In order for Him to touch us, we have to 
cleansing. It's just how it works. He's a cleansing God. So that's the precious thing about what He does, you guys, is He touches us. He heals us. When Jesus touched people, and He did, He touched the lepers. And they had not been touched, and He didn't get leprosy, but He touched the lepers. And that, that transfer of that presence of God, that power of God, made Him ever at whole. So, you guys, that is the thing that God's doing now, is that the church should operate and walk in a victory against the powers of darkness, the power of sin. And we should operate where the Holy Ghost leads us. This is not a carnal mind thing. He didn't say, okay, you guys, look, I have something to tell you right away. Uh, Whosoever sins you remit will be remitted. Whosoever sins you retain will be retained. You guys, angry Christians would retain people's sins who make them mad. There'd be a whole lot of people get the judgment. Well, uh, excuse me, your sins were retained. My sister Susie, on Sunday, the what? Are you kidding me? Sure, all one does. You get mad enough, it's like. <clears throat> so God told us to pray for people, and and He said, if they despitefully use you, sure, pray for them. So He's talking to you and me about a place where the church should travel, that that sin cannot bind God's people, cannot bind the people at all. But you and I can operate in that kind of place in Christ Jesus. So, I know you're thinking, so you're surely not going to mention the woman who was Syrophoenician and came to Jesus for the healing of her daughter, are you? Because the Gentiles weren't under the blood covering yet. So how could God touch her? How could God touch her daughter? Blood covenant, yes? Cleansing power. This is for the Jewish people. Once the cross of Calvary stood for all men, then forgiveness came on all men. Am I right? But under the covenant that, that Jesus was dealing with, that covenant relationship was to the Jewish people. He said, He told His disciples, you're going to hurry and you're going to go to every city and village of uh, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, Israelites. But He said, don't go anyplace else. Did you stay here because you're going to scarcely cover this land uh, before things are all wrapped up? So he brought them to that conclusion. This, this is all going to come to a close. So you guys, that presence of God had that kind of power. So the Syrophoenician woman asked him, look, you know, I, I want you to heal my daughter. He said, I can't take the children's bread because they're his children. In the covenant, blood covenant. These people are all, you can forgive these people. See, that's what Cornelius knew wasn't going to happen, right? Cornelius was a, was a man who loved God, wanted to serve God with all his heart, gave alms, did all kinds of things. You would think you'd be a candidate to be an elder in a church. But he was an Italian, and so he wasn't even part of anything. He was part of nothing. And the Bible said that his alms came up before God for a memorial. And God, Jesus had died at the cross. So this, he told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So now it's time to preach to us creatures. Hear, hear. And all that. All right. All right.
So that Syrophoenician woman said, yes, but the, and he called her dog. He said, can't give the children's breath to the dogs. And see what she did, you guys? Is she humbled herself down to receive the things they wouldn't receive. And faith moves God. said, I, I will take their leftovers. So you guys, she included herself under that receiving end of God's covenant. It's like, okay. And then Jesus said, well, that is true. You could have that. That, that part you got. And that's what God wants for you and me, is to understand, you guys, we operate in a precious place. But it's led by the Spirit of God. It isn't led by the flesh. It doesn't forgive sin on the merits of somebody you like and withhold it on the merits of someone you don't like. It's about the Holy Ghost showing you what Jesus did. Jesus said, what I see my Father do, that I do. And it's time for the church to come to the place that we see what the Father does. If I see what Christ is doing, if I see what He's leading me to do, and I do what He tells me to do, then it's going to happen exactly the way He ordained it to happen. And that's that's part of our heritage. But you guys, we we don't deal with it from that premise. We we, we do these things that the Bible commissions us to do, because He said pray for the sick, lay hands on the sick. And there there are whole denominations that believe that's past. That's something that, that died with the apostolic ministry. And uh, it didn't. Well, it couldn't because there are still apostles. So, and they're not the guys that brag about it. So he said, listen, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So there's power of restoration of someone who has been over. Taken with a fault. See how he calls that? They've been overtaken in a fault. If if I have power against this sin, I believe I can restore that person. I believe there's power in the in the things that are in my life to restore them. You guys, the church is great on sinners. We bring people in that are sinners, and and we want them to come to Christ. But when someone in the church is overtaken with a fault, we don't like that a person in the church got overtaken with a fault. So we don't, want to, we don't want to deal with someone who's been overtaken in a fault that's already been a Christian. It's way easier to deal with the world. But somebody who's in the church, overtaken with a fault, overtaken with a fault, oh, makes my blood pressure go away. <laughs> Doreen. <laughs> sure, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can be very grumpy and complaining. And most of the time when that happens, I haven't been spending enough time with the Lord. And my loving wife will mention things like, hey, why don't we go pray? (laughs) Well... So, and then there are sometimes... Yeah, sometimes... Yeah. When she sees you getting grumpy, she'll tell you the same thing. Correct. Sure. Well, Doreen, if I'm not happy with me, you've got a, you, you've got a battle, a running battle with, with your thought process. Everybody does. And we, we, want to, we want to achieve things in life. And sometimes our life... Uh, is more like we get up in the morning to the same kind of day. 
and hold the Spirit in presence. That's a good point. That's, that's a good point. Someone in Hollywood wrote a script about that movie, Groundhog Day. And the guy was self-centered, lived only for himself. And you guys, whoever wrote that script, yes, whoever wrote that script, came to a place in their own life they would have rather died than live their selfish life. So, I actually took that movie to Africa with me and showed it to the pastors because he, he decided he'd rather die than keep living. Because if, if, the only person he was actually living with in real time was himself. And every day was the same, so he encountered the same people. And, and he began to hate himself because at first he used what he knew about the person to, to take advantage of their vulnerabilities or take advantage of what he knew. From the day before, when he found out, wow, they, didn't, they weren't repeating their day. He was just having his day over. But you guys, that's exactly what the flesh does. It, it, it seeks its own advantage every way it can until, until it gets full of nothing. And, and I don't know who wrote that script. I, I'd like to know who wrote the script. Because whoever it was came to nothing in their own life and would rather die than, than to live just with their self. And you guys, that's, that's what selfishness brings you. So... So what happens in that, you guys, is if I, if I see that my days are, are just dreary or the, my sense of enthusiasm is drained because of, well, it's just an ordinary day, I've lost vision. And, and the Bible said without a vision, the people perish. And that's one of the things that the Holy Ghost brings to us. It's one of the things that God said would happen. If, if, if I receive the Holy Ghost in the book of Joel, he said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your young men and your uh, and your daughters. Uh, so he talks about men and women. Everybody on the earth is going to be blessed with this indwelling of God's own presence. And he said, "You'll dream dreams, have visions." And uh, that's the thing that's important: is that that baptism of fire is a baptism. It actually has a cleansing effect on me because a baptism does. It has a changing effect on me because a baptism does. So he tells us. I'm going to do that with you. And when I, when I have ordinary days and they just kind of drag me down, I'm bored with stuff, I realize, well, I'm not spending enough time with the Lord because there's something in Him. I seek a vision. It's like, God, I, I've lost something in our relationship because when I keep a, a constant fellowship with God, it keeps me with more things to do than I can do and satisfying things. It, it fills my life up with stuff that honestly has value to it. And, and when I stop spending my time with the Lord like that, what happens is that my flesh finds less and less uh, satisfaction in something, and it starts looking for something else to do. And so then it wants to do something like golf. I only say that in February. Don't, don't remind me in June. <laughs> I just didn't want anybody else to feel guilty if I brought up something that you might want to. Yeah, yeah. But you see, you guys, listen, if I go golfing once a week or once every two weeks or maybe once every three weeks, I'm satisfied with that. And, uh, and that's really because my score's so great. Yeah, because Leonard's never got as good a score as I do. I'm always 10 or 20 points more than him. Here's the deal. 
But you guys, if I if I get up and I and I'm thinking, gee, I think I need to go do, and then I pick out something like that, I realize, wow, you know what? I'm avoiding something eternal here. And eternal things are awfully important in our lives. And so that's the thing. So you tell yourself, well, what is an eternal thing to do? Well, prayer is an eternal thing because I can pray for the church universal. I can pray for my family, my loved ones, my mom. I, I mean. Anything that, that needs prayer, I can fix something that needs a touch from God. That's an eternal thing. And the same thing with the Word. Or like you're doing where you volunteered at the nursing home. To be able to deal with people who have a need, you can think, hey, I think I'll just go early because that one woman could use uh, someone to take her down to breakfast. I'll just go down there and take her to breakfast and sit and have breakfast with her. Those are the kinds of things that are eternal things. And what that does for me is it takes me out of the day where I have just my own attitude to wake up with. Because if I have an agenda, I don't have my own attitude to wake up with. I actually have something better to do than argue with me or pout around the house. And so that's the thing that God does to us, is get, just give us a direction. It's like, you just need a direction. And, you know, the thing about ministry is you can be dreadfully busy and lots of things coming at you, but... You want to still have that sense of relationship with God because it works the same as if I if I find my satisfaction only in doing ministry things and not in my walk with God. I'm drifting away from the the importance of that personal relationship with God, and ultimately I can just be doing all kinds of stuff, but with, without that without that touch from heaven, I want the touch of God on the things that I do, and so do you. So that's the thing we want is to. Bring me that place where I walk in the presence of God so that when I touch somebody, I touch them with heaven's best. And when I start living like that, it brings that sense of real satisfaction back. Because I can, I can do an ordinary thing and have God touch it with his presence. Uh, there was a plumber here doing some plumbing work, and, and he was in the kitchen finishing up. And I walked in, I was getting ready to leave, and I said, hey, I said, there's some, we had that pantry there, some candy bars and some water and stuff back there. I said, hey. Uh, if you want a drink, there's uh, water or some soft drinks if you want a Coke or, and there's some candy bars, you know, just uh, some strength for the journey. And it touched that guy. And uh, so he went home and told his wife and then he called somebody that, that went to the church here. He said, you know, I just, he said that I, I was having really a terrible time. He, he was having real struggles in his life, personal struggles. And he said that. When that guy talked to me like that, he said, I made up my mind that I was going to go back to church. And, uh, but you'd think something that small would be insignificant, except that the presence of God is on it. And when that, when, that, when that touch from God is on something you do or say, it impacts somebody in a way that that, that presence of God only can do. And that's what we want, you guys. We want that, we want that deliverance from sin, because, you guys, there are people that get bound where they don't forgive themselves about stuff that sin passed. They don't forgive themselves. They're not good about that. And, and our human nature isn't good about that. We know God has done it, but there are some things that, that were easy targets for where Satan can bring accusations brand new like it was today. And what we want is to have that peace that comes with, with uh, joy that God is happy with us. And you guys, that's one of the things that we get to give to each other because a person that's struggling under the weight of of failure, that's a lie. You can't fail with him being the potter. I'm just telling you, you can't fail with him being the potter. So he's going to succeed at the things he's doing. And your life, you have to remember, and we all have to be reminded, 
he honestly is the person that finishes the work in us. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And the Bible tells us that he went to make a place for us. He said, in my Father's house are many dwellings, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to go prepare your place. That where I am, there you may be also. See how he finished that? That where I am, you may be also. It, is, it wasn't a, I'm going to go fix a place for you, and I hope you show up. Hope you make it. You know, because otherwise I'm going to waste all my time building your place. Because he's talking about us, yeah? Because he really came to dwell inside of us. It sounds like he's going to go up to the mansions in glory and put, you know, ceramic tile and stuff. And really what he was going to do was enter us and change the way we are to bring us into that place of victory. But where I am, that's where I am, you may be also. Didn't seem to have a whole lot of sense of failure in the thing. It's like, you are going to be there, right? Yes, because that's what he said. That where I am, there you may be also. That's why I'm going to go do the work. To prepare this place for you. That where I am, you may be also. It's like, wow. Okay, so I'm encouraged. And, and so you encounter somebody that, that is being beat up by, I don't know how well I'm doing. Or, gee, I'm not certain I'm drawing close enough to the Lord. Or, or I wish my walk was deeper in God. And the thing is, you can encourage them because God knows how to bring us into a place of deeper walk. He knows how to get that stuff done. You know, I, I, I needed motivation. God's a great motivator. But the interesting thing was he actually sent me to a motivational school. You'd think, what? Why would God send you to a motivational school? Because he knew I needed the discipline of the motivational school. And, and so Adam City had great dropout rate. Adam City High School in Denver, Colorado had, or in Adam City, Colorado had a terrible dropout rate. <clears throat> so they took some sophomores and they were going to send them through Outward Bound so that they started a program at the school called Dare to Care. So they're going to take kids out of the classroom and take them up in the mountains and put them through mountaineering stuff where you're climbing mountains and you're doing real stuff that's dangerous and uh, things you wouldn't normally do. And the idea was, if we make you do something you wouldn't normally do, that puts you in a place of motivation. Because when you're in the middle of something you can't quit on, like climbing a mountain, you can't quit, you realize you have to succeed. Because that's something that that place did. It put you in a, it put you in a circumstance where you honestly had to succeed. It wasn't an option. And you guys, I'd never been in a, in a life and death place where success was the only option. And they put me several times in that circumstance. So I know that God brought me through this mentality that said, look, this, is, this, is, this I don't do. But when you're halfway into something and can't get out of it, the I don't do this thing, See, I'd have never went to the school if I'd known what it was. I thought it was summer camp. Ta-da. That's, I told you, I was ditching the class that they had the big um, um, video in. 45-minute video explained it all. I wasn't there. I don't know why the teachers, and the teachers picked the kids that went. I don't know why the teachers would pick me when I was ditching classes so much. See, I was, I was motivated my own way. I needed discipline, and I needed to have stuff come at me that I could not change, could not back up from, and I had to go to the end of it. Now, that's what God does, what he does. And he puts us in these kind of places. 
And so they just said, hey, you're going to the school, you got to have hiking boots, you got to run a mile, get ready physically before you go. So I started running my mile before I went just so I would be ready. And they did tell you in the thing, it told you you're going to dip in a spring or in a river. And so you are going to need, you know, this kind of clothing. You're going to need shorts that dry in a day in the mountains. So, but it didn't dawn on me all that it meant. But you guys, to come to a place where you, you don't want to do it, and that's how it started, because you started every day at 5 o'clock in the morning, and they get you up and run you a mile, and you get to this river, and honestly, it's running from a glacier, so you can see the ice up above it. That's how high we were in the mountains. That's just, and I love this, beautiful, really pristine, you can see your breath. <laughs> and, and 60 of us all stopped at the edge of this river, and I'm hugging myself, telling myself what, and this guy walks out in the river, and then he says, gentlemen, I'm only going to do this once. You're going to do it three times. And he dropped down to do a push-up and he lowered himself down in that water. I said, foo, foo, foo. Mm-mm, I ain't doing that. I said, I'm not doing that. He gets out and he's dancing. Now. I mean, who wants that visual? Who wants to do that kind of stuff? It's like, I don't do this. I, this is, uh, uh, mm-mm, no. I said, listen, you could get pneumonia. He said, you can't get pneumonia. He said, the only way you could get pneumonia is go from cold to hot, and you ain't going to get hot. <laughs> You're going to be cold till noon. <laughs> and here's my problem. Fifty-nine morons got into the water and started doing push-ups. They forced me. They forced me to do it. These guys doing that made me do that. There were three Hebrew children. And I can tell you that one of them was all grit. And the other two could have just been with him. But if if he's going to do it, it's like, yes! Because he said, we're not going to bow. It's like, yes! We're not going to bow. And they didn't. And you guys, that's what we need. We need that sense of belonging to Christ, but we need the encouragement of other people at the same time. That's one of the things that God does. In the United States Army, I ran like an idiot because there were 300 idiots running. I would, I would tell them, come on, you guys, don't do this. Don't do it to yourselves. I did. I told them, come on, don't do this to yourselves. You're wearing yourselves out. You're going to ruin your boots. Then they take off running like, now I have to run. And I kept on, don't you get it? When you run, I have to run. They said, you don't have to run. I said, I'm not going to stand back there and be the only person standing there. But you guys, shouldn't the church be moving along like that as well? So what happens is, when you're moving forward like that, the Spirit and presence of God begins to affect the people around you. That's the part that we want. It's the thing that, that is really precious. You guys, the, the, the sense of having God deal with us on a basis of having uh, an understanding come to us. But you guys, when God puts us into experiences like that, it's because He knows that you and I have a sense of impacting one another. He told the children of Israel, when you cross this 
threshold, you start walking around this city, you keep your mouth shut. I, I got one thing to tell you. That the seven days you're going to walk around this place, you keep your mouth shut and don't talk to nobody. I don't want to hear anybody talk. I always like to have God talk to you like that. I don't want to hear anybody talk. Because you know somebody in the crowd's got to talk. But you guys, what his point was, is that you're going to start talking stupid stuff because all of you feel vulnerable. All of you are thinking the obvious. We're an unarmed people. They've got an army. They're watching us walk around the wall. They can see we have no weapons. Boy, that ought to be a refreshing thing for them because we've come here to conquer their city and we have no weapons. And God's walking us around the walls so that they can be certain and see it. It's like, wow, there's little kids. Look at those cute little kids. And the women. Look, they look so dainty. Yes? And the men, they all look like Jews. Come on, guys. They are. Thank you very much. You can't leave me in the middle of the story. But you understand that what was going on at that, you guys, is that you can't talk the obvious. Because isn't it amazing that if you keep the thoughts to yourself, it doesn't have the same power as when you talk with someone else and they're in agreement with you? Do you know how many times you've been glad you kept your mouth shut because <laughs> you started to say someone was the guy's cousin? <laughs> Like, what a door. What is he doing on that bike? It's your cousin. <laughs> he loved that bike. <laughs> but you guys, there's something about speaking these things out that, that has power to it. And what God's talking to me and you about is that there are times that you see people where they need an encouragement and then talking would what? Encourage them. It's like, this is doable. If your thought process is running to this is doable, man, this place is coming down. See, they weren't thinking that. So God said, so don't talk. But man, when those walls fell down, they didn't need no, they didn't need no weapons. They didn't need no weapons. God had, had done the work that was necessary to bring that victory. And you guys, that's what God's telling me and you. Because there's a way through to victory. And His Spirit and presence is the only thing that can bring us there. He knows how to get us to a victory that we could never choose on our own. And that's where His power comes in. It just, it just does exactly what it ought to do. My mom was struggling about me and the church and God. And, and my sister had built up this war in her. Just as she was angry at me. And she's telling my mom this stuff. And one, day, one day God spoke to Sylvia and said, I want you to go and talk to Pauline. So Sylvie comes over and says, I'm going to go visit your mom. So I called your mom and go spend a week with your mom. I said, very interesting. Because <laughs> if anybody was a perfect sister to my mother, it was Sylvia. And it is, yes, it was, uh, except that they were both a little bit, mm, they were a little bit opinionated. And so I knew this is going to be a really interesting deal. They're going to do a deal. So forth. 
So Sylvia gets out there, and she's got suitcases filled with Bibles, books, yeah? And uh, so my mom says, I'll help you with your, with your suitcases. And she said, well, you probably should get Paul to come help with those suitcases. That was my brother. She and my mom said, ah! And my mom couldn't get the suitcase lifted up out of the trunk. She said, what are you carrying in here, gold? Sylvia said, no, it's my books. I've come to talk to you, and we're going to have Bible studies. Well, the reception is less, you know, jovial than it was to begin with, if I can't even carry the books. But anyway, but you guys, then, then Sylvia locks her doors. My mom's living in Trenton, Nebraska. And if you're living in Trenton, Nebraska, you don't have anything in your house people want to steal. <laughs> if you had money, you'd move to McCook. <laughs> Well, Sylvia, you know, when you're black and you're in an all-white community, it feels dangerous to you. So she would lock all the doors, and then my mom would hear her lock the doors. My mom didn't like the doors locked, and I don't know why, but I don't know if she thought, you know, she'd have to get out fast or something. But so she would get up and unlock the doors. And Sylvia would hear my mother unlocking the doors, and... So she'd wait a while. <laughs> and she'd wait till she heard my mom snoring or whatever she heard, and then she'd go lock the doors. <laughs> then my mom would get up in the morning, she'd be furious. Because it was, you know, you locked my doors. I don't, I, you unlocked them. Like, you locked them. Like, so, but, but Sylvia began to talk to my mom about the, how, the blessings of the church. And my mom began to talk about the things she didn't like about what we'd done here at the church. And Sylvia said, whoa, 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 whoa. That wouldn't be true. Then my mom would say something else there. And so Sylvia would say, well, well, Pauline, that's not true. Because actually I was involved in helping that particular person. Because my sister claimed that we there were some people here at the church. We just did not help. And Sylvia said, well... You know, Pauline, first off, several women in the church went when the woman first got sick, and every week they cleaned her house. Sometimes they'd do it twice a week. They took her meals, babysat her children, and, and drove her to her doctor appointments and stuff. And, um, and I was one of those people. So for your daughter to, to tell you that, that Ron is, shows favoritism, he only has two or three people that he, that he will help, and nobody else gets help. That's not true. And you guys, I could have never known that that was the problem because my mom wasn't going to tell me that. And anyway, how would I defend it and say, well, sure, mom, we all did do that. Because if she believes we didn't, she'd just think I'm just talking. So you guys got knew that that woman needed to go talk to my mom because the walls of the city were up and they needed to come down. And so she needed someone who could talk. And God knew that the woman needed to go talk to my mom. So it was a precious thing because the spirit and presence of God began to deal with my mom. And so they had Bible studies that were genuine Bible studies. And God did a precious work in my mom while Sylvie was there. And they were good buddies. I mean, that, that was a precious thing. But the, the spirit and presence of God had to do something. And he had to have that woman that knew what she knew take the truth to my mom to refute those things that were like. So you guys, that's what the body of Christ should be like. Because God just woke up that woman one day and said, you go talk to Pauline. You go out and spend some time with her. And so she went out to talk to my mom. And, and you guys, the thing is, it's, it's interesting because she had insight that only God could have given her. Because she told me something that she 
had God tell her to go fix and to talk about with my mom that I never thought. I never put it together. I never said what, what she said to me. And it and astounded me at first. And, and, I, and I really, I mean, I actually had to go back and take the sequencing of events that she was talking about that she would not have known. And I was there when those things took place. And I realized she was absolutely right. She's correct in her assumption. And my mom had carried this burden all those years. All those years. And so you realize, wow, how could you know that? And how could you hit the nail on the head like that? But my mom had carried something that God needed her set free on. And when God does that, He does a miracle in her life. So I understand that God knows deep things that are going on in a person's life. He knows those things that only the Spirit and presence of God can deal with. And see, it's easy for the enemy to tell you, well, you're the problem because you didn't something. You didn't, I don't know, climb over the, the obstacle or something. And you guys, that's what God understands about us. And that's why in the church, he said, listen, if you see somebody overtaken in a fault, go to them and restore such a one. But, but here's what the Spirit and presence of God knows. He knows how to deliver both people. That's the kind of God He is. So you understand, wow, we need a God that could have mercy enough to change a person who would do those kinds of actions and change a person who is victimized by those kinds of actions and felt guilty that they, that they somehow were a participant in it. It's amazing that the church has that kind of power. And you guys, here's the problem. People who have that kind of catastrophic events in their life keep it to themselves. They're not going to tell you. They're not going to sit down and go, look. You know, I, I. But the Spirit of God will tell you you have something in your life and the Spirit of God is going to bring it out. God knows how to do that. God knows how to do that and He's done it in this church over and over and over again. And He's told me things that are going on in people's lives that they're vexed about or tormented about or things that they're doing and not wanting anyone to know. I mean, God knows how to get you free from this stuff. It's that kind of thing that He does. And you guys, that's how real He is in the things He does to get us through this stuff. And I can try to cover it up. But if God's talking to me about it, I can let it go. And that's the thing that His presence does is brings us into that kind of victory. So we're that kind of power in the in the earth, you and I. And I thank God for somebody going out and talking to him. I thank God for that. And I know that it was the Spirit and presence of God that brought that victory to her through Sylvia. And it, and it blessed my heart. And you guys, that's then Sylvia got angry at me, frustrated with me. And you would never think that would happen. But she did. And you guys, then Mandy met her in a store. And, and was talking about how I was talking nice about her. She said, he, ta- he said that about me? She said, yeah, because I was in the hospital. And she came in and told the people I was in intensive care. Or, and, uh, yeah, wherever I was. And they, they said, you can't go in there because it's just family. She said, I am family. The lady looked at her. Of course, she's beautiful black. And I'm beautiful white. <laughs> and so the lady looked at her and said, you're family? And she said, yes, I'm his mother. And I assume that's how Obama got so black. But anyway, here's my... There's a family thing I assume we're not. Here's our deal. God knows how to get relationships fixed. And I was just telling how Sylvia told that lady, I am his mother. And they said, well, 
Go ahead, Mrs. Rice. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys, that, you see, she was angry at me, really angry at me, and she said some really angry things to me. But I didn't, I didn't let her charge because I could forgive those things. And I could forgive it in God's stead. I could say, God, forgive them. Jesus said that about the soldiers, yes? He said, Father, forgive them. Now, these are Gentiles. And he's asking for their forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. This is done in absolute ignorance. So, what you and I are partnership in is that kind of power. And what you and I want is to have the spirit and presence of God deal with us about issues that we couldn't have any understanding about without him. That's what he does. That's how he gets it done. And that's what God knows how to do in your life and mine. And I want that. So he said this. Restore such a one. Restoration. You can have vexation come your way. You can be overwhelmed with grief. And God will restore you. I mean, only God's presence can come in and touch you when your emotions are pounded by the things that you're going through. And that's, that's what he does best. And he said, restore such one in the spirit of meekness. I love that, you guys. In meekness. Not because I'm better than you. I'm not rescuing you, rescuing you because you couldn't get it done right. I'm here to help you because I understand that I could be tempted like you where I could be in the same place you're at. I understand this. I understand this is the, this is the thing. You guys, how, how different we would treat each other if we dealt with each other that way. It's like, look, I understand that I, I could be guilty of that myself. So, it is that, it's that sense of not overestimating our own flesh because we're a believer. Not overestimating our own worth because we're a believer. But honestly, bringing to someone else the Word of God and the truth of it for restoration, to bring him back to that place. Then he said this, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear the burden. Carry the stuff. You guys, when you're, when you're a child, you don't, want to bury someone, you don't want to bear someone else's burden. If I tell one of the kids, pick those shoes up, would you put them up? That, <laughs> those are not my shoes. I know. But would you pick them up? No. And then they'll tell me whose shoes they are. And their hope is that I will say, okay, would you pick up your own shoes and put them up? Point is, the, the less maturity you have, the less likely you are to accept someone else's burden. So, let's do it like this. You have a roommate, and you're tidy, and, and you love cleanliness, and you hate dirty dishes laying in the sink. You think that if they're left overnight with water in them, that it smells garbagey. So, so, you do dishes all the time. You always do the dishes. Why? Because you don't like them in dirty. But your roommate never does the dishes. And eventually it dawns on you that they dirty dishes, but they don't wash the dishes. Just an example. Not any of us. I'm not talking about any of us. I love this place when it goes stone quiet. Evidently, you're doing somebody else's dishes. Good deal. That's good. But the thing is, you get what you, but, but what happens is, 
you, you do that for a while, and sometimes there's just that cheerful uh, zippity doo dah feeling on, you know, bluebird on your shoulder thing. But then after a while, it gets old. It's like, more dishes? I just did the dishes. It's like, what? What is this? And then pretty soon, bearing the other person's burden gets a little heavier to bear. It's like, you know, your shoulders slump. <laughs> I love it when the choir shows up. (laughs) But you get what he says here is, bear you one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. This law of Christ, it's a law. Bear one another's burdens. Do the stuff. Do the stuff for them. You guys, it's it's interesting because doing someone else's stuff because it's their stuff. Their burden. They may have even made the burden for themselves. And what he's saying is, help them with this. You can see they're struggling with this thing. Get under that burden. Help them bear one another's burdens. That is a precious thing because, you guys, it's that that, that conveys this love of God because it's a law. I, I can do it as it's a law because sometimes we have to practice doing that because we, our flesh doesn't quite rise to the occasion. But well, we know to do it. And you do it enough. And you do it as a law. It's like, you know what? This is what he did for me. And I, and I transfer stuff. You guys, I'm a constant transferring person. I, I transfer. If somebody makes me angry, I transfer what they've done to someone I love. I told you, when I was in Africa, you know, and all those hawkers would come up to the car and they would they'd get in the way and you couldn't hardly drive and they'd all lean in the windows and they'd be trying to get you to sell their, buy their little trinkets. And it was infuriating because you got stuck in traffic and they knew where to stand because where, where the traffic would slow, that's where they were. Of course, they're the hawkers. And, and so these guys are coming up and they're doing all this stuff. And after a few days, I, I was sitting in this sweltering heat. These guys were in the windows because they got no air conditioning in my car and you couldn't run it that long in that slow of traffic anyway. And I realized, you know what, if that was my son, if that was my kid out there, in, in flip-flops, worn that thin, selling something he won't make a nickel on. He won't make a nickel from what he sells because this doesn't belong to him. It belongs to someone else. People who don't know this stuff's got him out there hawking it. And so, and then I've seen cars where someone would uh, say, yeah, yeah, come here, come here. And the guy would come and they'd look at the thing and then they'd drive away because the traffic would clear. And, and they would do that to him. They would watch for that opportunity. I've seen people, these women would run beside the buses with loaves of bread. And, and it'll be 30 women on, on uh, a bus to drive up, 15 on each side. And these women are trying to sell their loaves of bread, all the same, all cooked by the same people probably. And they'd be lifting the bread up, please buy the bread, please buy the bread. And they'd do it all day long until they sold all their bread. Because until they sold all their bread, they didn't have enough money to even go home. So, you guys, and, and I would see the bus drive away and those women run down the road trying to wait for their money to come out the window. And you guys, people would be so proud that they'd stole bread from a woman that had to pay for it herself. And you guys, that's the way the world works. But I transferred. And when you transfer from, from a person that's just bothering you to someone that is desperate, something changes inside of you. Something begins to move inside of you. And so I would save up uh, money to give those guys. And I would, I would pick a particular person because I got to know them really well. And, and one day I would give one a dash of, of extra money. And the next day I'd give another one a dash. And so you guys, then these guys treated me really like family. 
and I, and I would run into them and deal with them. But you guys, it's, it's that part, that transfer part. There was a guy at the airport that was really unsavory. He's the kind of person that you couldn't trust anything with. He, he, had been, he was involved with fights where he would beat people. He'd get beat up terrible. And he would tell me these, these stories about why he needed money. And, and every time I'd go to the airport, which was fairly often because we'd pick up people that came in to Accra, he'd tell me a different story. And I would judge the story for him. I'd say, no, this is something you could change on that because that, that's good. You, you have my interest and you're leading me along. But you're losing me here with this part because this part, and he would, he would, he'd laugh like, and then he would change it like I said, and he'd come back and say it, and he'd say it my way, and I'd say, that's better. See, that's better. Now you're doing all right. And then one day he came up and he said, he said, I need $40, U.S. dollars. I said, whoa, that's a lot of money. He said, my mommy is on the airplane, and they won't let her off until she pays this money. I said, she's on the airplane, he says, and she just got into the car, yes. And she needs $40 to get off. He said, yes. I said, can you tell me why? And he tells me this, this fabrication thing that there was something that, there was a box, and, and, and so she had to pay money extra for this box that she had on the plane. I said, okay, well, well just between you and me, that won't work because on an airplane, when she gets on and puts the, her extra stuff up in there, that all goes free. So that's, that won't work. You've got to come up with something because you're asking for $40. It's like your mom can't get on the plane. You can't have her on the plane coming back. You've got to get her on the plane. It's like you've got to have something that she must go to somewhere else. And unless you've got $40, she can't. And she's, she, she's in there trying to buy the ticket. And, he, and he's going with me. He's like, yeah. I said, so, so no, I, I'm not going to give you 40 bucks. But I said, hey, how about we go over to uh, Kiki Ricky's and get some chicken? And he said, yeah. I'll go to Kiki Ricky's. I said, your mom can wait. <laughs> But, but you guys, the thing is, if I if I see that person and the things that they're doing, and, and what he eventually did, because he would he, he would try to thug you, he would make you feel like you weren't safe if you didn't help him. And so his whole persona was, I, I'm in your window, and you're really not safe with me in your window. You understand that, don't you? And so it's like I, I'm going along even with that. That's how that's how he and I eventually begin to do our story stuff. But you guys, the thing is, but, but when you take somebody and put someone you love in their place, and you realize, wow, and I, I've seen him terribly beat up. I, I, in fact, I didn't see him for quite a while. And then when I saw him, it looked like he had to recuperate in a ditch somewhere for a long time because uh, somebody took him to the cleaners. Yeah. But the thing is, you guys, so, so you recognize that, that in the body of Christ, our sense of belonging is that important. And, and the ability to, to help one another is just like that. So when we encounter uh, something that the person's going through or we recognize that they're going through it, you realize you need a miracle. You need God's touch on this thing. And you guys, that's what we do as the body of Christ. God has a way to put us in that kind of relationship thing. 
And he knows how to bring us through it successfully. So he's, he's doing these things in our life. So, listen. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a law. Bear the burdens. And for if a man think himself to be something, if a man thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Isn't it interesting that he goes from restoring someone overtaken in a fault because you are really bearing their burden? That is a burden to bear, you guys. Am I right? Overtaken in a fault? Is that a burden? Absolutely. Anybody would be, you're burdened down by that. And he said, listen, restore such a one. Bring them up out of that place where they understand they're not bound by that thing. They're not overtaken with the fault. They cannot be overtaken with it. They have yielded to it. There's no doubt about that. But it doesn't own them. That was yesterday's stuff. You can get rid of it. You can confess your sins. Jesus said, I'm faithful and just to forgive your sins, and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Who cleanses you? He does. And so you follow through with that. You take this person up to that place and say, look, you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. God does that. And He brings us to that place. And that's what we want, you guys. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Prove your own work. Let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself. You guys, that's a glorious thing, isn't it? To be able to rejoice that the job was done right, done well. And you guys, that's what the Spirit and Presence of God wants you and I to be able to do. It's not about, it's not about being able to deal with these things uh, so that other people see it. It's not about, you, you saw what I did, didn't you? Nah. It's not about that. It's about, I did this. And it, and it touched me because I did the right thing to do and I felt like it was a success. I saw this thing turn out right. Now look at verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. Earth! Wait a minute. For every man shall bear his own burden. I thought you said, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But you see what he's talking here is, but let every man prove, if a man thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing and he sees himself, it's about you dealing with your own self. And you guys, that's the thing that God's talking about here. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Did I do what needed to be done? Did I do it right? Absolutely. Did I fulfill what God told me to do? Yes, I did. And do I know that? Yes. I did it for who? For him. I did it because it was something that I would want to give to him. And that's what brought me that sense of satisfaction. For every man shall bear his own burden. I've come to this place that I understand that these things that need to be done right, I need to do it right. I need to do that right. And I want the Spirit and presence of God to be able to fulfill that in me. And I deal with that issue myself. I deal with that issue. And because I can, I can take what God's told me to do, so you can, the idea is you could leave me alone anywhere with a job to do, and I'm going to do what God tells me to do. It wouldn't matter how difficult it is. It wouldn't matter whether I liked being there. It wouldn't matter whether the people were nice. It's not about that. I've had some seriously uh, ugly events take place, and God's Spirit and Presence turn it completely around and change what's going on, and the people love me and beg me not to go. And had I not 
persevered through those first ugly hours of some event that was taking place, I wouldn't have been there for them to love me enough to get me back. So that burden of, of doing this job right rested with me. And who would know if I did it or not? Me. Me. Nobody else would even have to know. But if I knew I didn't do it right, that's the thing that would matter to me. So I carry that burden. I carry on my own. Why? Because I'm the only one that judges whether or not I have the opportunity to do it right. Me inside. Left alone with me. Doing what I ought to be doing. Whether anyone else cares or not. Doing it the right way. And that's what God's wanting in all of us, you guys. to, To be able to see. If I didn't do it right, I'd be vexing me. I'd have to live with me. And I could pretend that's not enough for me. I want God to be pleased with me. I know whether He knows what I've done is right. And that's what you want the Spirit of God to do in your life, is to bring you to that place that, that you personally hold yourself to that standard that it, that it is your burden to bear. To, to be what you are and not, not, not need the affirmation of other people. Is that difficult? <laughs> What I wanted to Satisfaction about doing it right without having the the pat on the back, exactly, and having sometimes where we where we're doing something so difficult it takes time to learn, and then you're not sure, you know, it's like well that's not easy to do, and and then you have to accept the fact that you're learning to do something better, because so, that's the way ministry is. The ministry is a constant learning process, and I, I've made a lot of mistakes doing stuff. And realizing, whoops, that is the way that should have been done. And then going back and doing it the right way and, and practicing how to get it done right. And that's and so you can be really discouraged with yourself that you didn't do it right the first time, but, but that's part of that training process. And that's not impossible. God brings us through that together successfully. So, John. I have a question about that. Then. Um, just because I received that, you know, in respect of the technique, what you've Basically, becomes almost natural to really need that affirmation. But um, it's always like that. And the reason why I was asking, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm getting used to obeying God now. Um, but it's like, you know, recently, when I make that choice to obey Him, you know, it's like the temptation comes my way or something like that, and I say, no, I'm going to go with God's There's been this, like, real satisfaction about it in respect of it's like wow it's actually really awesome to obey God you know and stuff like that and that's been that's you know going to be rough during my tenure as short as it is but <clears throat> there have been several times where I've obeyed God I haven't made it wrong just, but only you know recently and maybe it's just because of everything I've been through but only recently it seems like I'm doing this just like wow this is great feeling like will it will it actually come to a place where that stops and it's not needed just because it's a natural? Well, well, the closer you draw to the Lord, the more you sense His approval. The, the closer you draw to the Lord, the more you sense His approval. 
So, so in the beginning, you know, it's actually like cooking a meal. You know, because women cook three meals a day. And the family comes in and eats. And, they, and they're all talking about stuff. And they're eating this delicious meal. And then, then we do three more meals. We do pick up the dishes, clean up the dishes, and cook three more meals. Have to clean up all the stuff. And, and we've got three more meals the next day. And it's sort of like that every day. And the only time it's noticed is if you, you know, if one meal, yeah, you don't. <laughs> exactly. So, so the affirmation comes from what? Well, my family is doing well. But the thing is, or, or you find a new recipe, because that's what Rachel does, because I'll go to some restaurant and, and they cook this really great meal, and she can duplicate it. And so she's, she's been shooting herself in the foot for years because she's fixing what she could have got at the restaurant. <laughs> and I hate to explain it to her tonight right in front of her, but, but if she didn't nail those recipes so well, then... You know, we would be visiting that restaurant a little bit more often. But if she can do it at home, I'd much rather have it her way. So, and I mean, she nails it. So, but then she gets all kinds of affirmation because, you know, I cry and I'm, I'm wiping the tears from my eyes and I'm going, oh man. And I'm telling the children, don't eat yours, don't eat yours. And, uh, but, but the thing is, but then she gets Bunches and bunches of affirmation. And I think that's one of the things that we do, John, is that we, we, we find that thing because you have a dozen regular meals and, and everybody just eating and, and splitting. So then you look for that something that would, that would bring them to that place that they're all staring at you like, you cooked this? Who made this? I love this stuff. And, and when you do that, you realize that's the part that, that brings that, that affirmation to you. But you live on the fact that you know that you're doing a great job. And you know whether or not you're, you're cutting shortcuts or putting good stuff in or not good stuff. I, I, you know, I, I don't like imitation stuff in food. If you're doing it. When we would go to restaurants, we would buy kids stuff for our little tykes. And I would taste it and it would there'd be something wrong with it. In, in Central America, a lot of times, they use their leftover stuff that isn't good anymore that an adult wouldn't eat. And they serve it to children. And so it's like, I don't do that no more. So I, I go in and I'd, I'd order full adult meals for them. And, uh, and we've done that lots of times. And you see, wow, they, they shortchange kids because they think the taste buds aren't all that great. My kids have got great taste buds and they know how to order meals. So if we're sitting at one table and they're sitting at another, they don't need no help ordering. You sometimes have to go a little less. But, but they do it well. But you guys, the thing is, you recognize that, that there's something about that, that affirmation that comes from doing it well. Not cutting corners, not, not, not doing it a shortcut, but doing it top-notch and do it the best way. And that's what we want. We want to do those kinds of things in everything that we do. And God blesses that. So. Honestly, it's, it's, I, mean, I guess I just rely on the in respect to this. I do this you have to, and you're going to stop, you got to do it. And so when it was like, uh, you know, and it was, it was really cool because it wasn't was like this gigantic fireworks show, a tiny little bolt of man that's good, you know. And I, I like it. Yeah, I really love it a lot, and it's uh, something I uh, really love more. Sure. And so when you love somebody, bearing their, bearing their burden, 
becomes a real joy to you. It's like, wow, I did that. And I did it well. And I, I did it because I could see they were sinking under the weight of too much stuff to do. And so that's the part that we do. And, and the Spirit and Presence of God brings us to that kind of victory. As only He can do it. Okay, guys. Lord bless you. Go in peace. And we will see you Friday night for prayer. What a glorious event that prayer night is. Thank you, Jesus.